This podcast is brought to you by Close Brothers Asset Management. We've created this podcast to set out possible approaches. Please do not view it as financial advice or its content as investment recommendations. Just because an investment or investment strategy has performed well in the past does not mean it will continue to do so. Our predictions are based on information that is currently available. However, events and markets can and do change rapidly. Hello and welcome to our podcast. I'm Tom Santralaya and I'm joined today by Robert Ulster and Isabel Albaran. Hello to you both. Hello. Hi. So it's been a few weeks since we last recorded and uh, while we often hear about the summer lulls across businesses, it's been anything but that from an economic standpoint. So no shortage of things to uh, keep the team busy. We've had markets moving around a fair bit over August. It started in a bit of a downward trend um, and but staged a bit of a recovery towards the tail end of the month with the Jackson Hole Symposium. So I think we can sort of interpret some positiveness that came out of that. Um, but interestingly, since then, we've had two significant changes of, of direction from central banks, the Bank of England and uh, the Federal Reserve, both pausing. Uh, but markets have reacted ever so slightly differently with the UK and the in the US. I'm sure we'll get into the nuances of that. But let's start with the US, uh, Isabel. What did you take from the, the pause in the interest rates there? I think, um, you know, it had sort of been telegraphed a little bit ahead. But I think we can now say that if the economy evolves as expected, then we're at or very, very close to the peak of the interest rate hiking cycle. I think the question now is going to be what happens next and how long do rates remain at the current sort of somewhat elevated level. So the Fed definitely acknowledge that monetary policy is in a sort of restrictive stance mm. as inflation falls, leaving rates at the same level, they, they sort of become more restrictive on a relative basis. We've had um, markets pricing in rate cuts, but we got actually a slight upward revision to the dot plot from the Fed, which is kind of where they say where they expect rates to be. So who, who's going to be right is kind of the key question there. And you mentioned that the inflation falling, but we actually had an uptick in America recently. What, what was driving that? So I think everywhere we've had expectations of slightly stronger inflation to an extent relating to the fact that energy prices are higher. So we've had about a 30% rise in oil prices since kind of June. So that's, mm. you know, pretty pronounced. Hitherto this year, inflation has been headed in one direction for you know obvious reasons, and that direction has been down. Um, partly because we had those really big increases last year. Um, here, the, here, here on out, it's going to be a bit less clear, partly because of those slightly higher energy prices and also just, you know, because those base effects are not sort of um, so strong. We're approaching the sort of target rate for inflation. So it's going it's to be a bit more difficult for inflation to carry on falling as quickly. I feel like uh, my own children in the back of the car asking, but Robert, are we nearly there yet? <laughs> and Isabel seems to think that uh, we're, we're sort of nearing peak. Do you agree? Yeah, I think I think it's like, you know, like a hill walker. And you go up to the first summit thinking you've got there, only to find that when you get there, there's actually another plateau <laughs> and possibly another summit or hill 
still to climb and it feels very like that and we yeah. don't quite know how long that plateau is and what the size if any of whether there's another summit or whether actually there's a dip to go down back to where you started from and that is crucial about how long this period isabel alludes to about steady interest rates at this level lasts for all the markets because you've got to remember at the same time and i'm sure we'll come on to this the economies are slowing the purchasing manager indices, the forward indicators mm. of economic growth are slowing. So there's a sort of crunch point ahead, as it were. Yeah, we are certainly hearing a lot more of the higher for longer terminology coming around. Exactly. And But why have the equity markets reacted the way they have in that case? Because a pause to interest rates, you would have thought that was positive for risk assets. But we've seen the Nasdaq fall and S&P start to fall as well. What's going on there? I think that's partly because the UK market is driven by quite different factors. So if we start off talking about the US, so I mentioned earlier, we actually got a slight sort of upward tweak to um, the Fed's kind of indications of where they expect rates to be. And we also got um, GDP forecasts were revised a bit. So uh, compared to what people were expecting, that was perhaps a more hawkish response. Um, and I think, you know, it makes sense that we've seen a bit more weakness um, in the US market as a result. If we compare that to the UK, well, there we had a pause that was not expected. So that's a more dovish response. In addition, sterling is incredibly sensitive to what's happening um, in monetary policy. So we've seen quite a stark drop in sterling. And the UK market is really sensitive to sterling, not least because we've got so many overseas earners. So what's happening in currency really matters. Yeah, and you've got to remember... Um the US market has been driven by the so-called Magnificent Seven technology yeah, stocks, and they're more sensitive to interest rates being at a higher level than other companies in the S&P in the US equity market. So in some ways, that isn't a surprise if expectations of interest rates are higher for longer, that they, they, they sell off a bit on the back of that. And for those listening in who are wondering what on earth does a hawk versus a dove mean, could you just explain that for us? Yes, good good question, because um, they're terms we use so often. So I think, broadly speaking, being hawkish on something means kind of being uh, more disposed to take action, to sort of fight it. And conversely, a dovish response is perhaps sort of, you know, being a bit more sort of tolerant and mm. flexible and willing to yeah. look past it. Because on the dovish, you know, <laughs> Isabel said dovish in terms of the UK interest rates, mm. but the vote was still quite close, wasn't it? It wasn't Four like... To five, wasn't it was, it? Yeah, so, you know, there's still there's quite a lot of debate about the UK and the pause, and I, for one, was genuinely surprised that they didn't put up um, interest rates by a further 0.25%, and then that really would have been the peak, I think. Interesting. And so we haven't seen the necessarily the oil price moves feed through to the UK inflation numbers yet is the mechanism slightly slower um it's probably a bit less pronounced but we had expected to so you know um you, you're right to say that cpi print was weaker than expected we'd expected it to tick up actually it ticked down so i think it came in at 6.7 percent and that was um to a degree because of volatile components like airfares so you know, what do we take from that? Do we take from that the um, spending on travel? People are sort of becoming a bit less confident on that sort of spending. 
the problem is there's another explanation, which is the July reading um, for the inflation basket actually happened much closer to the school holidays. So it could be a little bit of a statistical anomaly. Now, you know, as Robert said, um, the Bank of England decided to pause. I think it was partly informed by that softer inflation print. It was weaker than the MPC had expected. But there's another reason. And that is wages. So uh, if you recall, a couple of weeks ago, we had this very strong wage growth um, print. Um, the MPC commented that whilst wage growth was really strong based on that measure, based on other measures, it, it, wages are not growing as strongly. And in addition, I think because we've seen softening in other labour market data, that was why five of them <laughs> did opt to vote right. to hold uh, rates packed. And you are seeing companies starting to complain about and mention, you know, higher, not only higher energy costs, which we're used to them saying, but also the issue about wage pressures as well. And I'm sure um, their energy costs in terms of oil and transportation will be a feature in the next corporate earnings season. Mm, eating into margins there. And, and so what are the investment implications? Have, uh, have we made any sort of wholesale changes to portfolios or is it business as usual, really? At the moment, I mean, this, these are quite recent events. You're, you know, it's literally the last week you're yeah. referring to. So it, at the moment, no, it's very much business as usual. So, you know, we are neutral equities, neutral bonds, and neutral sort of the alternative sector. Um, it's interesting, in bonds, there's a sort of feeling that the plateau, the higher rates for longer, is likely to persist at the moment. So therefore justifies very much a sort of neutral position, a wait and see, dependent on the data, as we've been talking about. Okay. And elsewhere in the news, we've, of course, got um, the the rollback or the change in, in direction in for some areas of the net zero policies in the UK. Um, what did you see come out of, out of that news? Yeah, so it was a it was a change in the the ban on the sale of petrol and diesel cars, new petrol mm -hmm. and diesel cars. That gets pushed out five years. The same for fossil fuel heating for off gas grid homes. Um, but then you know there's an upgrade to the boiler grant of some fifty percent. But net net speaking, you know, to our responsible investment team and seeing the analysis. Yeah, it is a pushing out of, if you like, the green agenda. And I think more than that, from an investor's point of view, it's the uncertainty that the companies now face. You know, what does a car manufacturer in the UK think about the sort of pushing out by four or five years? Um, does that make it more likely that they invest in Europe? I think it was Jaguar Land Rover came out and said, actually, no change for us. But it does induce uncertainty. And there's another election, you know, at the end of next year. So arguably some of that could be reversed. It's just one of those slight negatives. On the other hand, good for renewables. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of this means that some of that uncertainty moves to perhaps investing more in renewables earlier. So it's a mixed bag, really. So it hasn't dramatically moved markets as of today, but it has caused an awful lot of uncertainty to... The direction of travel yeah exactly yeah in fact the, the thing that did move markets coming back to that are the interest rate changes <clears throat> so for example the uk house building stocks did spike on the fact that rates weren't put up obviously you know for good reason it'll feed through to mortgage rates and so on yeah good to hear well look 
Great to catch up with you again. Lots to talk about and uh, interesting as always. Uh, this time around, it's Isabel for the uh, yes. stats. So go ahead. Are you ready? Yep. <laughs> sort of. Yep. Okay, so have a guess. In what year would you say the first electric vehicle was produced? Um, Who wants to go first? I'll, I'll <laughs> go first. I'm going to say... 1895. Okay, 1895 from Robert. I'm going to say, I'm going to go, I'm going to try and beat him by saying 1890. Okay, great. Um, well, you're, you're both close. I would have guessed much later before I started researching this. Um, but the actual answer is 1832 by Robert Anderson. Um, a, an electrically powered carriage. And I think that's a really good example of a kind of what if moment, because, you know, there was a, a, a point in time where the kind of rest of history could have been very different. And we'd all been going mm. about in electrically powered cars, especially when we think that I, I believe 70% of UK emissions are from cars and lorries. So, you know, could have had a really profound Amazing. impact. Yeah. If, if I'm honest, I would have gone way, way sooner. But <laughs> I, Robert obviously angered it, and I was like, "I better, I better tweet my answer here and not sound silly." Uh, well, that's a great stat. Thank you so much, and I look forward to speaking to you both again next month. Thank, Thank you. you.